The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Um, I want to encourage you like, to let your heart be open today and, and listen to what the Lord wants to say to you. As we talk about revenge, what a powerful word, revenge. And Man, it's like, we think about that word, it's, our culture is so twisted and we've bought into a lie so much that revenge, how sweet it is. Like, like we have a saying for it and it's so twisted. Uh, and I would just really challenge like, is it really sweet? Is it really sweet to get revenge? As we think about what it means, like revenge, just a word, the action of inflicting hurt or harm on someone for an injury or wrong suffered at their hands. And so today, like as we look at chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, like we see, man, David is going to teach us how to deal with mistreatment. Now, if you're breathing <clears throat> today, if you're breathing, <clears throat> like I'm barely, you're going to be mistreated. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And it's a question of how badly are you mistreated. Sometimes you're mistreated much uh, in a much more severe way than at others, but we're, we're mistreated. It's just part of the world that we live in. And I, I think that, that we have to kind of come to grips with that. I think as believers, sometimes we're, we're naive in thinking that just because we accept Jesus into our lives that all, all of a sudden we're a part of a utopia. Not so. Like we're a part of uh, forgiveness. We're a part of grace. We're part of a kingdom. But we exist in a world that is still fallen. And so like there's mistreatment that's going to happen. It happened to like, you look through the Bible, man, and it just happens all the way out through the Bible. This is not something that the Lord has said, like, He said is going to happen. He even said, like Jesus said, man, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And Jesus is like the greatest example of anybody that we'd ever have that somebody that was mistreated. We can look at Jesus and we can see He's mistreated. And, um, and so, like, we look at David and David gives us a picture of what the Messiah would be like when he came. And so, like, he's not the Messiah, but he gives us a picture. And so we, we know that last week that Saul is chasing him. And, man, he's about to catch him. And as he's about to catch him, he's closing in on him. <clears throat> the Lord provides deliverance. He gets a message that um, most likely his uh, village was being attacked. And so he quits pursuing David right at the point that he's about to catch him, and he goes back home to protect uh, his, his, you know, his whatever, his possessions. And so when we pick up this week, uh, it just simply starts with it, that's all been handled. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So he's so obsessed with David. Um, and, and so, like, it says, so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. 
And so like this is a uh, this is a place that you could still go see today. It's um, the caves exist, and the shepherds would take the um, uh, sheep through there, and they had a name for it, the crags of the wild goats. And David was hiding out in these caves and such. And so Saul chooses 3,000 men, but not just th- any 3,000 men, 3,000 choice men. And he's going after David, and he's going to do all he can to catch him at this particular ju- juncture. And it says that he came... It's kind of funny, okay, so brace yourselves. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So David and his men, so Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself, and David and his men, it says, we're far back in the cave. So he goes in, okay, everybody on the same page about what, what Saul's doing on relieving himself? Yeah, okay, who said that? Not number one, but number two, right. <laughs> so, so he goes in there, and, and David and them, and some of these caves are huge, okay? So David and his men are way back at the back of the cave. They've seen them coming, and so they just hide at the back. And Saul's in there by himself, like, you know, doing his business. And the men said, David's men look at they go, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Okay? And so like, like David is like his men are all fired up. They've said this to him. He gets up there, but something very interesting happens as David is getting closer and closer to his enemy. Then he cuts off the robe, and I think the guys probably thought he was going to kill Saul. And it says afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. Like men, like his heart just. Like, he, he just had men a, a gut check. Like, the Lord got a hold of him. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, he rebuked his men. Some translations say he persuaded his men. And he did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave. So David is this close to his enemy, and he cuts off the hem of his robe. He backs off. Saul leaves the cave. And as Saul gets far enough away, probably rejoining his men, David went out of the cave, and watch what he does. And he called out to Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He falls down with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, 
Like, now this is really cool because he's like calling to him in who he actually is. He's, 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 the, he's his father-in-law. And he says, see my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut it off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. It's a very powerful thing David is doing here. And, and so like he does all of this, and when David had finished saying this, man, saw he is like David is just speaking truth into this guy's life. And I'm reminded of the scripture that calls us to speak the truth in love. And that's exactly what David is doing. And, and look at what happens. And I'm not, I know this doesn't happen in every case, but it does in this one. Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. The, the guy was losing his mind. Like he was so out of balance. And we see that as, when we get to the end of his life, Saul, he just continues to spiral further and further out of control. But he was just, man, he was just, he just lost it. And he was thinking so irrationally. But when David spoke all this truth into his life and he had to look at the hem of his garment and see that David was holding it, and in fact, he could have easily cut his throat in that moment. And so he's looking at it and he's so overcome by the truth that he just weeps. It brings him to his knees. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. And so it's like, man, there's a little bit of reason that he starts thinking reasonably. He actually prophesies that the Lord will reward um, David and that, that David would be king. He acknowledges all of it. So he has a moment of, of sanity that happens in his life, and we'll see that he, it, it's fleeting. He doesn't hold on to it, and a lot of that has to do with the people that he surrounded himself with. But we look at this, and man, like, we think in terms of revenge. We think of terms of being mistreated. David was mistreated. What did David do to Saul? David went and he defeated, every time he went into battle, he defeated the Philistines, and he increased the wealth of Saul's kingdom. David 
um, was best friends with Saul's son. David was married to Saul's daughter. David didn't do anything to Saul. The only thing that David was responsible for is that, or he wasn't even responsible for, the only thing that Saul could look at is that God chose David to succeed him. But it wasn't David's fault. It was Saul that was rejected um, what the Lord wanted him to do, and it was in his disobedience. And so he was just projecting all of that onto David, and he was going after David. And so he starts attacking him. He throws a spear at him on two different occasions. He forces him to flee his home. He, and, and David, like, man, David was doing everything to just increase the, the value and the, the influence and the power of the nation of Israel. And he had done nothing against King Saul. And so like he was, he was Saul was envious of him. He was, his identity was so messed up in his position instead of being in God that he could not recognize that God was blessing David and thereby blessing the kingdom that he was responsible for. And so like he just starts mistreating David. And so like we look at this and we go, man, here is a picture of for us about how do we walk through and obey the Lord as we say, man, I, I know Jesus. Jesus has forgiven me of my sin. Okay. And I think one of the problems in the world that we live in today is there are too many people who are saying that Jesus is Savior, but they're not treating him like Lord. If Jesus is Savior, He is Lord and Savior. And so that means that he, we, are, we, we give Him our allegiance. We, we are citizens of His kingdom. And so we don't get to act like Saul. We have to take on the identity of David. And David, in this instance, we see a typology of Christ. David is a type of Christ, and so we lay that over the New Testament. We have to be like Jesus. And so as citizens of the kingdom, we're called to be like Jesus. And it's impossible for us to be like Jesus unless Jesus is in us and he indwells us. But when the spirit of God moves in us, then he changes us into the same thing as himself. That's why we look at the Sermon on the Mount. Man, the Sermon on the Mount is a call to do things that um, are, are just, just crazy. If someone slaps you in the face, turn the other cheek. Am I supposed to hit back? And so, like, is the Lord saying that I can never hit back and defend myself? No, he's not saying that. He's saying that what I've come here to do is when I'm done, and they couldn't see all of this when it was happening, but later the apostles write about it, and we have the New Testament, and the apostle Paul does such a great job of teaching us this. Later they write about it, and he says, Jesus is basically saying, when I'm done on the cross of Calvary, I will turn you into the kind of person that if you're slapped in the face, your first response will be, how can I offer my other cheek to this person? Now, you cannot do that unless you have been saved. And that's why we talk about salvation so much. You cannot love your enemy and pray for your enemy unless the Lord has done a work in your heart. And we can look at David and we can know that he is an Old Testament figure that we look at historically in the nation of Israel, that God has done a special work in his life. And we see the anointing of the Lord running through him. We see power running through him. We see authority running through him because God is working in him and God, and God wants to do the same kind of things in our own lives. He wants to enable us to be the kind of people that we don't live like everybody else. And though everybody else may be mistreated and take out revenge, we don't do that. And so why do we not do that? Because we belong to a king that didn't do that. And so since we belong to that king that didn't do that, we give our allegiance to that king and we honor him with our lives and we believe like David believed. 
And so we follow him. And so when we look at this story, there are several things. I'm going to give you four things and a big idea today. And I hope they will help you because they've helped me as I've like looked at it and thought about, man, how, how do I live? Like, how do I? And, and, and as we think about these things, they can be in significant experiences where we have where somebody has severely wronged us, or they can be in very insignificant things where maybe our spouse has wronged us in a way that we, we just feel wronged by our spouse, or our feelings get hurt, or our brother or our sister. Amen, Caitlin? Say amen. Amen. So we could be wronged by a sibling, and it can't, you know, it doesn't have to be that they're trying to kill us or something. It could be even something small to where our, we, we have our inclination and our responses uh, to, to take revenge. And so as I look at this story, here are a few things. And this first one, um, I think is really important. All that glitters is not God's. All that we see glittering around us is not God's. So what would I mean by that? It looked like the Lord was giving Saul into David's hands. He could easily have looked at this and said, man, the Lord is opening a door here. I'm going to take this guy out and I'll be king. Like, it would have been very easy for Saul to draw, or David to draw that conclusion. The guy walked into the cave he was in, in the dark, and he literally, like, he literally caught the guy with his pants down, right? He could have just taken the guy out. There was nothing he could do. And so in this situation, it really could have easily looked like, man, this is the Lord's will. He's right there in front of me. And I think we have to be careful to realize that all that glitters is not gold, because if we look back a chapter or so and remember how it started, um, David, he, it was reported to Saul that David was in um, uh, the city of Keilah, and, and he, as he was there, it was a gated walled city. And what did he say? Saul said, the Lord has given David into my hand. And so like Saul is interpreting, he sees something, he says, it's just the Lord's will. He's there in a walled city. All I have to do is go in there. He can't get out and I'll take him and he's mine. And so like when we look at this, David sees this and it could have been very easy for him to interpret it that way. Not only did this experience happen for David and he walks into the cave that way, David's men said, this is it. David's men were telling him, this is it, man. This is the day. And they begin to talk about um, how the Lord had said this. And so I would say to you at this point, like when we talk about um, this, this particular idea of all that glitters is not gold. It's not gold. I'm always encouraging you to abide. Like you need to have time with the Lord. You need to sit with the Lord. You need to have a time where you talk to the Lord. Why? Because there will be stuff in your life that glitters that you will think is an open door from the Lord, but it is not. It's something there to trip you up. You say, well, how am I supposed to know? Well, you better get to know the Lord. Well, how do I get to know the Lord? Well, he wrote you an entire book to tell you what he's like. He's given you the high priestly gift of, um, the, the, of being able to pray and talk to him. And so prayer is something that, that, that comes on the believer because now we are uh, transformed into like the priesthood of the believer, the, the scripture says. And so we don't need someone else to intercede for us because Jesus is constantly interceding for us. What we got to do is we got to get into this place where we're um, talking to the Lord. That's why we sing this song. We love this song about my heart is an open space. Where are you going? Where, what are you saying? What are you doing? 
so that I can know what is the Lord doing so that if somebody comes in and everybody else thinks this is the Lord opening up a door in your life, I'm able to recognize it by drawing on one of the fruit of the Spirit, which is discernment, and I can recognize whether or not this is God's will. So we look at this and go, well, how, how, did, um, how did David, how was he able to make this, draw this conclusion that it was not the, his will? Because he knew the word. He knew the word. And it is never the Lord's will to disobey the, the word. As a matter of fact, as his men started saying this about, man, the Lord has given him. He says, this is what the Lord said. You can't find that in scripture. There's no scripture that says that, that the Lord will give King Saul into David's hand. And so they're twisting things because they kind of knew the word. They kind of knew that God had prophesied this about David, but they didn't know exactly what the word said. Well, one of the things that the word teaches in the Torah um, is that it was a, a violation to harm uh, the, the Lord's anointed, and David knew that. And so even as he was approaching in and he was starting to think, the Spirit was saying, no, David, this is not right. And even after he cut off the hem of the king's robe, he was convicted over cutting the robe because he knew the robe was royal to God. Now Saul was all messed up. The guy wearing the robe was messed up, but he knew that, that, that God is the one that put him in that position and it wasn't his job to take him out of that position. That if God wanted that king out of that position, then it was never going to be that he was going to use David because that's not what he wanted David to do. God would remove him out of that place and he would put David in as king when the time was right. And so the little things are important. And so in, even in life, as we're thinking, sometimes we go, oh, well, this is not that big a deal. You know, it's, it really doesn't matter. It's a small sin. Look at David, man. He's torn up over cutting the robe of somebody who's trying to attack him. And so, like, it's very easy for us to justify, oh, well, this is okay. In a little bit, man, I could cut off the robe and it'd be okay. It wasn't okay to David. And so as David even calls back out to the king after the king lives, it's somewhat of a form of repentance for him of saying, man, I knew I was even in the wrong of that. And he uses it to, to show him how he could have harmed him. And, and what, what is beautiful about this whole thing is that he led his men into obedience by speaking the truth over their lives in love. He spoke to them. And, and, and again, one translation, the NIV says rebuked. Other translations say persuaded. It probably went down like this. They were like, man, the Lord is giving you into his hand, David. Like they probably saw King coming up to the or King Saul coming up to the cave alone, and they were like, "Man, we're all in here. He's going to give him to you, David. This is your shot." He's like, "No, no." And they're going back and forth, and 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 eventually, and we don't know exactly how it played out, but somehow or another, David persuaded these men, and they started thinking like he thought, and that's a good thing because he was thinking like the Lord. And that is why it is so important for you to think like, a, like the Lord as a father. If you want your kids to think like the Lord, you need to think like the Lord. Like my kids aren't thinking like the Lord because I, I pastor a church. They're watching me in the house think like the Lord thinks. And they're watching when I don't think like the Lord thinks and how I acknowledge that. And so my wife is following me and she doesn't have a problem submitting to me um, as the word says is because I, I treat her like the Lord tells me to treat her. And when I don't, I feel convicted that I've just cut the, the hem of the royal robe off and I know how to confess and say, I'm sorry. And so like she, she, is, she is walking with me and I'm walking with her and she knows that I'm, I, I care for her because I care for the Lord. And so my family's able to see the Lord in me. And they, they are, are, my, my objective is that they watch it and they see it up close enough that they own the faith as their own and they see how the Lord honors us when we do that. 
and that their faith becomes their own and they're not um, a part of a Christian church because their parents raised them in a Christian church. They are part of a Christian church because they see that their parents look like Jesus. That's the way this thing's supposed to work. But we live in a world where I'm Methodist. Why? Because I was raised Methodist. I'm Presbyterian. Why? Because I was raised Presbyterian. Well, where is Jesus in all of that? Nine people out of ten that I meet in this community are either they say they go to this church when, I ask, when they find out I'm a pastor or they say I'm Catholic. And I just want to say, where's Jesus in your life? I don't care if you're Catholic, Presbyterian, or Methodist. What I want to look at is can I see Jesus in your life? Because if I can't see Jesus in your life, all you have is a religion, and Jesus came to wage a war on that. And so we look at this and we go, man, all that glitters is not God's. And so we need to be able to recognize it, and God has given us everything that we need to be able to recognize it. Here's the second thing we need to understand. From evil doers come evil deeds. I love that saying, um, is that like evil, from evil doers come evil deeds, and we need to understand that. And so David, like he understood what was going on in Saul's life. He understood that Saul was engaging in an evil deed, but he goes out and bows in humility and speaks truth over him. And as he speaks that truth over him, he's asking, why are you listening to lies? I could have killed you. My men wanted me to, but I chose obedience over desire. He's modeling what it's like to follow the Lord. And in doing so, he's saying to him, I'm not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. And he never says this, but Saul, Saul knows it. He says, I'm not um, wrongdoing, uh, guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion, but you are. And so Saul immediately sees that. And he says, may the Lord judge between us and avenge me. I will not raise a hand against you. Now, this is very, very important for us. May we be the kind of people who believe the Lord will avenge us and quit raising the hand against people. Quit raising the hand against friends who mistreat us. Quit raising the hand when we get our feelings hurt and raising our hand against them and let the Lord take care of that. That's the idea of what's going on here. It's like we have to understand this stuff is going to happen because from evildoers come evil deeds and we live in a world that is filled with evildoers, so we live in a world that is filled with evil deeds. But the call is, is that we control ourselves and we don't act like an evildoer. And how do we do that? By following the Lord who lives deep inside of us. And so here that leads us straight into the next point. We must leave vengeance to the Lord. It is the Lord's. Like, vengeance is never ours. Now, um, it's Chuck Swindoll, like, he writes, he's wrote a, a, a great, wrote a ton of great books, but I was reading in, in preparation for this, and I couldn't state what, what he says better. So, like, this is, this is Chuck's right here, okay? And he has a process. When it comes to revenge and it comes to what we're dealing with, since man is depraved, expect to be mistreated. Just expect that this week. Expect it's going to happen from your husband. Amen, ladies? Okay. Expect it's going to happen from your wives. Amen, men? Amen. Expect it's going to happen from your boss. Expect it's going to happen at work. It's going to happen in Little League. It's going to happen. Okay? And if the person doesn't know the Lord, it's even going to be worse. Since mistreatment is inevitable, it's inevitable, anticipate 
feelings of revenge. They're coming. (laughs) Man, when I get mistreated, that's the first thing I feel, even as a pastor. I just, man, if you knew how many people I've told off by myself in my car. Like, man, and it was good stuff. And I have to recognize what is going on in my heart. This is not who I'm supposed to be. And I have to start looking and knowing that, man, um, I may feel just at what I'm feeling, but this is not who I am. And I have to recognize the feelings of revenge because handling mistreatment doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. So when we're mistreated, we have to rely on the supernatural power that is within us. Since the desire for revenge is predictable, refuse to fight in the flesh. Like you can't fight it in the flesh. And so this is where it becomes really convoluted is that sometimes we're dealing with people who all they have is flesh because they're dead in their sins. So sometimes we as believers are called on and we're dealing with a person who's mistreating us who does not know the Lord and they're operating in the realm of the flesh and we're called to operate in the realm of the spirit and that's a way that we love our enemies. Even, you know, like it's not an enemy in the sense of, oh, they're coming to attack us. Um, and and bring physical harm to us, but it's a situation where there's conflict, and that would put us in a a position of a battle. And so what are we called to do? We're called to look at this and go, man, how do I um, look at someone who's mistreating me and understand that I don't want to fight in the flesh in this situation? Because here's what happens, and I love what he writes here. Injury, I've been injured in some way, so somebody harms me emotionally, they harm me physically, whatever, I've been injured plus vulnerability. So now I'm injured and they're vulnerable. Plus depravity always equals revenge. I'm injured. I see somebody else vulnerable. I mix some depravity in that and I've just crossed the line into revenge. That's why we have to recognize the supernatural ability to control ourselves, which is one of the roles of the fruit of the Spirit that is produced in our lives that comes out of what? Sitting with the Lord and recognizing how much self-control He has exercised with me and He puts that in me and I'm able to exercise self-control with someone else as opposed to taking revenge because I'm not mixing depravity with it. I'm, re- I'm mixing divinity with it because God is in me. And so that's how we face this. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 and 19, Paul says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, he says, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That belongs to the Lord. So the question becomes, how often are you to seek revenge? Never. Never. For the believer, we are never to seek revenge. We say, well, how does this work out in our governments and stuff when they go to attacking another country? That is different. The, the, uh, the government is an agency and an instrument, a minister of justice that belongs to the Lord. And so we're not taking out self-passionate revenge on a situation like that. It is determined beyond us. Even in the courtroom, we look at the, we go to the court, and that's why we have courts and juries, is because we can remove the person from the situation and let people look at this and execute justice objectively apart from us so that it's not cr- controlled by emotion and passion. And so when we look at this, this is an individual call from the person. How are we to function? 
We are to function as people who never seek revenge over being mistreated. And that's a strong call for the believer. But this is where freedom is. Like when we start trying to seek revenge, all we're doing is, is killing Christ in us. And instead of allowing him to spring up like a wellspring of life that he said he would, we're quenching the spirit. And so here's, here's, here's the last thing before we get to the big idea. Reconciliation doesn't always mean restoration. Okay, so, Paul, or so, so David comes out of the cave. He calls out to King Saul. He explains like, man, I could have killed you, that I, but I didn't. Um, and he, he's saying, I'm trying to, basically he's saying I'm following the Lord in all of this. If the offender isn't following the, the Lord and they're not in relationship with the Lord, often that relationship between us and them cannot be restored. That's why the Bible says, and Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. He said, well, they, they don't want to talk to me, so it doesn't really matter. Yes, it matters. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And sometimes you will make an effort to be at peace, and you cannot be at peace with them um, from their vantage point because they don't want peace. But you can always want peace because it's you, and it is your body. And so it is your mind that can think the thoughts that are going to be thought. And so, but even when that happens and the other person is not in that place, you are not responsible for their behavior. And David knew Saul well enough that even though Saul says, oh, my son, and he's weeping down there and his heart is broken. And he says, you're going to be king and you're more righteous than I am. Notice how Saul left and, and David didn't go with him. He knew Saul well enough that he knew he could not trust this man any longer. And so they went their separate ways. And we see Saul coming back after him later. I'm also reminded of Jesus in John chapter 2, verse 24. It says that Jesus had performed all these miracles and stuff, and all of the people believed in the name of Jesus. They believed in the name of Jesus, it says. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew what was in the heart of all men. So even Jesus doesn't always entrust himself to people. And so we look at that and we go, okay, well, sometimes, man, we go through experiences and we're trying to do the right thing and people will push us out of their lives. And even though we would like to have reconciliation and we have walked into a place of, of forgiveness with them, they don't want to have anything to do with it. Well, we can't be responsible for that. And so here, here's what I want you to hear today. Here's the big idea of the, today's talk. And I want you to walk out and receive this. And I think this is what the Lord is wanting for all of us. You'll never regret forgiving someone who doesn't deserve forgiveness. You will never regret forgiving a person, someone in your life who doesn't deserve it. But you will regret it if you don't. And that's, that's the big idea. And so we look and we go, okay, man, let the, like, the offender... If we can come to a place of forgiveness, and even though they may not be able to come there, what's happening is they're staying in prison, but let us walk in freedom. Because freedom, oh, how sweet it is. That's where the sweetness is at. Now, here's a big one. Where do you start? The hardest person to forgive in your life is you. Sometimes it could be yourself. 
and you feel like you've blown it in one place and you just keep looking at it over and over and you wish you would have done it differently and you wish, man, how could I have done that differently and this, this, I'm responsible. Man, just start with forgiving yourself. You'll never regret forgiving yourself. You can't function in the kingdom the right way. And it's really like, listen, like this is going to be strong. It's blasphemous for the Lord to have forgiven you and you not forgive yourself. It's like, it's like you're saying to the Lord, you're not good enough for forgiving me. Like, I'm going to hold on to this myself. And the Lord is saying, man, I've forgiven you for that. Let go of it and move on down the road. Quit looking at it. Quit allowing it to trip you up. And know that, listen, man, when you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It is no more. It says, the psalmist says, he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west, which never meet. It's like he's saying, man, like forgive yourself. And then once you do that, this is why it's so important. It's to really forgive yourself, you have to understand the forgiveness of, of God. Because you have to understand you are guilty. You do not deserve to be forgiven. And the beauty of the gospel is that he forgives. And when we get that, man, then we want to be people of forgiveness because we know we have received something that we could never earn or, or, and we, we do not deserve. And so the Lord washes over us. And so we have to begin to go, man, I got to extend that kind of grace to people around me who mistreat me. And then we're walking in freedom. They don't own us. And there are people, man, you know, I got people in my life that I love dearly that because of my obedience of walking with the Lord, there has been separation. And I've even, like, I've even spoken and said, man, if we, if we don't navigate through this, all this is going to mean is that when we're, we're, we're in the store together and you see me, you're going to want to walk the other way. And I'm telling you, everything I've described before it happened has happened. And I like I, I'm not walking like it's, I'm in freedom because I don't have any ill will toward them, but they're holding on. They're holding on, and because they're holding on, and pride is in the way, then what happens is is it causes a wedge, man. And I'm like, man, oh, when I when I look at it, I don't go, oh, they're hurting me. I look at it, go, oh, they're in prison, they're in prison. And I pray, and I I, I wish I could love them, but I can't uh, because they're choosing to stay in the place that they are but I'm not going to stay there. Like, why would I stay there? Why would I stay in a place where I'm just holding on to something and go, like, when, like I'm, I'm going to just be as honest as I possibly can. I, the, the, I don't have anybody in my life that I just look at and go, ooh. I don't feel that way about anybody. Now, there are people that I just don't like to be around, but it has nothing to do with something they've done to me. It's because our personalities aren't the same. But I don't have any ill will toward anybody. Like, why? Because, man, I think I just recognize how messed up of a sinner I am and that the Lord forgave me, and that's just what he made me into being. So I think that part of our, the joy that kind of comes out of my life is just because I don't keep a list. Like, I don't, I'm not seeking revenge for anything. Why? Because vengeance belongs to my king, and he takes care of me, and he works it out. And so that's what you got to come to is you got to come to a place where, man, you really trust that the Lord will take care of you. 
And we see that that's exactly what David did. And the Lord takes care of him. Eventually, he does become king. And the Lord handles it all of it. And guess what he doesn't have? Saul's blood on his hands. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.